0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to First Person Platform, the new podcast for platform engineers. And we're beginning with a short series of episodes with engineers who built or led teams who built tooling for secure workload and service access. In each episode, we'll be digging into what was the motivation behind building the system, a bit of the origin story and lessons learned. I'm a pretty new podcast host, but my guest Andrew is awesome, and we're going to have a great time. I'm Auri Shoshan, by day, the co-founder slash CDO of Autorize. Where we make declarative workload IAM finally easy. Joining me today is Andrew Fong, the co-founder and CEO of Podvana, and previously VP Engineering Infrastructure at Dropbox. Hi, Andrew.
1: Hi, Ari. Nice to meet you.
0: <laughs> nice, nice to, to meet see you. you. Nice to, <laughs> <laughs> to meet you again. Yeah. Um, so let's get started with a little warm-up question. Um, so, Andrew, what are two must-have tools to deploy on a Kubernetes cluster? and one common tool you actually prefer not to use?
1: I feel like this is a softball question because we do a little <laughs> bit of Kubernetes management in Predvana. So I will say one of the two must use tools on Kubernetes is Predvana. We actually use it to manage um, everything in our infrastructure end to end. So we definitely okay. make very heavy use of it. I think the other is some sort of monitoring system, some sort of telemetry system, observability system. Uh, I think. Right now, we're biased towards Datadog just because it's super simple to set up. Um, I've used yeah. a lot of the other ones, in the, but I think really you just need a tool to do observability. It doesn't really matter which one. Um, just get started with it. Uh, common tool I prefer not to use. Um, <laughs> I'm I, digging for a hot take. <laughs> yeah, doing for a I, I, Let's see, hot take for me would be... I think if you can avoid using Kubernetes... <laughs> for as long as possible. It's a good uh, it's a good it's a good thing. Uh what I mean by this is you can get not that Kubernetes is not a good solution for a lot of people, especially enterprise. But I think if you're a two-person company, you know, having a Kubernetes cluster that you're trying to manage, we've mm-hmm. seen this with some people, that that can be a lot of overhead. Um but in terms of like on cluster, I actually to be honest, I think the pattern I bias away from is things like dealing with CRDs and, and do, doing sort of mm-hmm. like anything internal to the cluster aside from very vanilla standard things, um, I find that having built large systems and manage them as simple as possible is always the best. That's probably the be- my, my yep. preferred not to use question.
0: Stick to the bare bones. <laughs> uh, it, it's sort of my attitude too, and I guess it, it relates to what you said about if you can, don't use Kubernetes yep. um, if, if it's simple. Because um, you can just, you know, you can just do so much with so little, but you introduce yep. a ton of complexity with every tool, right? Yep. Yep. Um so let's uh, do a little introduction. So I said a little bit about what you do, but now it's your turn to say it in your words. So what do you do? What do you work for? <laughs>
1: Um, okay, so intro to Andrew. I have been doing infrastructure for probably the last twenty five years now. Started at the end of the dot com era at AOL. Worked on web cache and proxy and got to see some incredible scale there. Um, after that, moved to the West Coast, where I've been about seventeen years from now. Um, joined was still at AOL, but transferred and worked on Winamp and Spinner. If anybody remembers those products <laughs> uh, back in the MP3 days. Okay. After that, uh, went to YouTube, where I saw YouTube grow from about 1 billion views to 30 billion views a day. There was roughly about, wow. I think, I think it was about 100 people, saw it through about 3,000 people. Um, and then Dropbox, about 100 people through 3,000 people as well, um, where I eventually ended up running all of infrastructure there. Um after Dropbox, uh, did a startup as a CTO gig, and then ended up founding Pradvana. Uh, my heart is in infrastructure. I've done it for 25 years, mm-hmm. been a year in fintech, and was like, I just really feel that infrastructure—it's getting super complicated, and all the things that we saw inside of Google or inside of a Dropbox—they're now becoming things that every single engineer had to learn with public cloud. Mm-hmm. And like, Cloud Wave One was great. Now we're kind of moving the second wave of cloud of how do we actually use it. You know, there's this famous meme at Google: "How do I serve one terabyte or ten terabytes?" Um, which is yeah. like, wow, well, yes. I
0: love that video and like that, that the monotonic tone.
1: Yeah, 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 <laughs> yes, yeah. Yes. It's like, how do I actually just serve ten ter? Like, and at Google, that's very hard. And I feel like public cloud has actually made that same problem exist for everyone else. Now it's easy to get it's, and so it's just more and more complicated. That's what led us to start Prisma, where. You know, we believe in zero overhead purposes to um, uh, eliminate the uh, eliminate the complexity of sort of software delivery. Uh, that's that's our goal. We want to make it as easy to ship things to your users as possible um, on the production side.
0: Well, cool. yeah, there's actually, yeah. there's a, a cute quote on your, uh, that was in your KubeCon booth, which got <laughs> us talking, which we'll get into. Yes. I'm, I'm teasing the, the viewers. <laughs> 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 so... Um, I guess you, you kind of touched on that, but like what led you to start Portvana specifically? Like why, why did you hone in on that?
1: Um, so my experience in infrastructure and platforms, the delivery process is the heart of engineering in so many ways, it's both business process as well as technical process. It ends up being such high leverage, but not really looked upon as like a place to go intercept at. And, but what I found is every time I touch something at scale, that was the first thing we fixed. Um, YouTube. We built out. I, I, had, I gave this presentation actually at CDCon. Uh, w- w- jokingly said, like we built GitOps at YouTube in like 2007, where we <laughs> would just have an SVN repository on the edge of every server, and we ran SVN up out of Cron uh. on a five-minute splay, and that's how we sync configuration out. Which is, I mean, that's all all Argo effectively does at this point, too. Yeah. Um, it does more, right? Like in terms of like workflow management a little bit, but it's hard, right? It, that's what it does. Um, and then Dropbox, and we also had a deployment system that we built from scratch because we had to run our and we had to do this to like tens of thousands of machines. You know, move on to, to, um, you, to Dropbox, same problem. We actually had a similar system there. We used Mercurial and we ran uh, HG up on every single machine and a five-minute display. <laughs> um, same same yeah. exact same strategy. And we would distribute a bunch of host files to every box that had a list of all the servers. And that would tell us what wow. to run on them. And like we built all this like mech- like all this mechanical stuff around it, which Kubernetes encapsulates a lot of today, but only at the, in- only at the infrastructure layer. Um, and we found ah. is that we over time, Every single one of the companies that were early cloud adopters built a system that was at a one level higher abstraction. So, Netflix, you get Spinnaker. Um, Uber mm-hmm. has Udeploy. Dropbox had a system called Yaps. I've off the top of my head, um, I think uh, Pinterest uses a variation of the Spinnaker platform and, and some homegrown, some Spinnaker. Uh, Palantir is a system called Apollo. Every single one of the company's early cloud adopters built this because none of this, they realized you had to manage dependencies, you had to manage yeah. services. It's just a different problem than managing a single 10, 15 hosts. Um, and Kubernetes is an infrastructure layer. It's not a its not a platform built for engineers to run applications on. Um, yeah, so it's, a, it's exactly right. It's
0: um, a, bunch, a bunch of the APIs are just a bit too low level. So network policies, they talk the language of networks and IP addresses and they try to creep a little bit into, you know, the higher level with pod selectors, but it leaves a lot to be desired and you just kind of got to go up one layer.
1: You have to go up one layer. And what we found is uh, actually the real motivation, like true motivation is what we saw is it's an interface interlock problem on one in what we're seeing is that you have have always infrastructure platform team and you have a and then you have this product team and it's really a they're trying to transact work between the two of them um, and they're trying to determine who's responsible for what parts. And so mm-hmm. we said, like, really, that's the essence of the application platform. So deployment kind of gets it that way better than all of the new wave packaging schemas or like let's build mm-hmm. a way to spin up services very easily. It doesn't get at the core of it, which is like the day to day you know, once you launch a service, you have to operate this thing forever. And so that interlock <laughs> is way more important to get right than the day zero, of, hey, I want to launch a service. Um, it's really yeah. the everything after that has to like work really well together. Um, so we so basically how you that interlock?
0: Go ahead. Thinking of the, of the entire life cycle, like, yep. you know, start yep. to end and where the engineers fit in and where the platform team fit, fits in. Yep. Yep. And not just, uh, you know, let's make it really easy to, you know, serverless yep. deploy.
1: Exactly. We, we, we really focused on, we realized that we would need multiple personas, for example, in the product. Um, mm-hmm. We would have to, like, where most of these products focus on just infrastructure or just application, we said if it's an interlock product, you have to present both both of these personas. Um, I'm sure it's similar for you in the security world where, like, right. you're a yeah, security engineer and application or infrared person. It's There's multiple personas now, and that wasn't the case five, ten years ago.
0: Right, exactly. You, ha- you have to, now you have to meet people where they are, and you need to talk to different people. They want different things. Usually they also don't want to talk to each other so much. Like that's, that's how <laughs> they define success.
1: Yep, yep yep, <laughs> yep, 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 Very you're spot on. Awesome.
0: <laughs> 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 so uh, how did you, well, I, I guess you, you told us a bit of your history, yep. um, but I was gonna ask like how you got into platform engineering initially or I guess DevOps, SRE infrastructure. How did you initially? Um, how did I initially it?
1: get in this? In high school, probably. We <laughs> had—I wonder—like a super small high school that was mostly liberal lib, liberal arts focused. Everyone kind of goes to like a uh, goes to like an Ivy or you know an East Coast you know small liberal arts school. Um, and I, but ironically, we had a Sun uh, email server, and we had email in like the mid nineties. <laughs> And I, for whatever reason, like, we would dial up with ZTerm, effectively, and, like, run Pine that way. And this is, like, I mean, we were, like, high school kids. But, like, we used it. We used Ytalk and Talk to, like, we, that was pre-Instant Messenger, right? And that kind of opened, my, opened me up to Linux. And I remember installing MK Linux, which is, like, the version of Linux for the 68K Max and trying to figure out how to work this <laughs> thing. And that led to, okay, maybe I should get a PC. And then that kind of just snowballed into like using Linux in like the early ni- late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and then AOL was one of the first to deploy Linux at scale. Actually, one of my good friends was actually the one that brought it into AOL at scale. Um, and good. kind of went through that journey. <laughs> and that kind of like, it was never, I, I and what I found along the way is that I really like empowering and creating leverage for teams. And it was mm-hmm. always like one more kind of step in the road of like creating more more leverage for different for teams. And I really enjoyed that. And, you know, it kind of right. culminated in Dropbox where I ended up having infrastructure, the infrastructure teams, which is there, everything from supply chain. It's like reliability plus COGS plus um, DevX. And you have to make all that work all at once. And that to me is platform. That's and that was cool. a lot of fun. Um, and so we said, like, how do we, get more of those components into people's hands at large.
0: I can definitely resonate with that, right? Because there's only so much you can do as an IC, but um, in a platform-type role, you can do, like you have an outsized influence as an IC, which is like, you know, if you're nerding out enough, it's the the best of both worlds.
1: (laughs) Oh, it's amazing. I I really enjoyed it. It It's one of my favorite roles to have is managing platform teams at scale.
0: Um, So... When's when's the first time you actually ended up using Kubernetes? So you can I mean, remember.
1: I, I wasn't a Google, right? So like I I had, I mean, I, I first time I probably used a system like it was Borg, right? Which is the internal Google system mm. of this. And so yeah. I actually did the YouTube, I was part of the team that the YouTube migration um, from YouTube's infrastructure into Borg. Um, and so saw which you probably have some Googlers that listen to this. I mean, if you've used Google systems or you use Kubernetes, you don't really get into the guts of how it works. But we were moving something that's very incompatible of like from a design pattern onto Google systems. And so that was like, that was the first time I saw a system like that and like the power behind it. Um, mm-hmm. We rolled it out at Dropbox with much debate, actually. Uh, We had two competing projects, one one on Mesos, one on Kubernetes, and then actually three competing products, one on Mesos, very lightweight Kubernetes, and then um, some homegrown stuff ourselves. Because as a storage Mm -hmm. stack, there wasn't a, storage and databases, there wasn't a huge motivation on the compute side. Uh, And so we were like, we don't run, um, at the time we didn't run, uh, we didn't do any bin packing we were memory bound actually. So it didn't really matter if we ran Kubernetes, we wanted to maximize memory per for, for process on every box because it's Linux, or oh, sorry, because it's a Python mm. app. And so really that those are limiting factors, oh, yeah. not CPU. Um, so we had one monolith that just, we maximized all resources and size to that. Um, eventually, right? Like we started doing Kubernetes more so because it, We knew we were investing a lot in infrastructure. Like when I say we we were investing in infrastructure, we would have ended up building Kubernetes. Um, And we saw that as like, that's not going to, that's not a smart move. Like, this is not core competency. We can (laughs) do it, but we're not going to build it. I mean, this is the team that built a storage stack from like main um, at exabyte scale. So they were like, we can build this. This is like, whatever. Like, this is just another system. I mean,
0: yeah, I I can see how you can get there with a company like Dropbox.
1: Yes. I mean, we, we built a monitoring system from scratch. We built a storage system. We built a CI system. We built like, I mean, we t- built grouper, which I'm sure we'll talk about from scratch. Yeah. So we built all of these <laughs> things from scratch. So Kubernetes wasn't like, it wasn't like, Oh, we shouldn't do this. It was like, and then we had a, you know, we had a moment where we're like, okay, we shouldn't do this. Um, and then it kind of snowballed from there. My co-founder actually was a big part of it. Uh, we actually, it was part of breaking apart the monolith and it gave a very good application platform. So they built an interface on top of it to manage the monolith and break apart a 4 million line Python app into little servlets that end up being little pods on it. Um, so it gave a, that was the motivator. Um, it was less about moving to Kubernetes more about how do we break the monolith apart. And this gave us a way to bin pack um, without us having to build it. Mm-hmm.
0: Makes sense. And yes. uh, that my, uh, my first touch with Kubernetes was also after first uh, trying out Mesos. Okay. Um, so yeah,
1: <laughs> there, there's so it, many uh, stuff uh, I
0: wanted to ask yeah. you about, what's with the time limit, like you dropped a bunch That's of right, uh, bits yeah. in there. <laughs> but anyway, my, with a segue- My co the
1: one to ask those. He worked on the Me- he he and the uh, people building our, our convergence engine at Prudvana actually are the ones that worked on the Mesos engine. Um, they can tell you all, he worked on both. <laughs> he is the expert on that side.
0: Wow. Yeah. Awesome. So that that's a great segue to Dropbox. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you're joining us today to talk about Grouper uh, at Dropbox, which facilitated access controls for workloads. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got into, I, I alluded to this earlier, we got, in, we got into talking about Grouper and Courier uh, by chance at the recent Kubecoin in Chicago. Um, yep. So before we get into it, can you tell us a bit about what's Grouper and Courier? Okay. So... Asking you to I I can
1: um I'll give you a quick Grouper's access control system manages all provisioning. I think they've moved off of it at this point, but like for a long time, probably the better part of ten years, it's probably actually still there in some way. But for 10 10 years, it was the core access control system for for getting production access, whether it's a service Mm -hmm. account that needs to talk to another service, or whether it's um, allocating IAM permission, or it's just a user account in production. Everything was provisioned through Grouper, and then Grouper had a syncing mechanism to actually push us all to the edge. Um, and Courier is the. Dropbox's um, gRPC implementation is the wrong framing. It's they've <laughs> taken gRPC and made it into their server stack framework so everything is a courier mm-hmm. service in the same way that google talks about stubby this is very similar to how that works um, you use the courier system as a framework to start a uh, to start a server um and so that gives you everything from authentication to monitoring to um, basic hooks to talk to like everything else in the system, um, load balancing, all of that's just built into Courier, uh, but it's fundamentally built on top of the gRPC frameworks.
0: I see. Yeah. Awesome. There's a, to, to the listeners and viewers, I also say there's a cool blog post by Dropbox on, on moving to Courier, which has a lot more details on that, if you're curious. Um, so can you tell us what's the, what was the motivation for building
1: Opal? Why? Yep. <laughs> Um, Why get into that, that gentleman? I, we're gonna go. We, we, I'm, I'm this. So we built this 2013 or 14. I think is probably when it when it was the origins of this. I was actually looking at it the other day. A good friend of mine, Gary, uh, was actually the original author of this program. I worked with him both at YouTube and at Dropbox. Um, he and I were very early SREs at Dropbox. And Mm -hmm. we were going, we knew that we had to worry about permissioning and things like that. And we were going after SOC 2, by the way, this is before SOC 2 had things like Drata and Vanta, which are amazing products to make a lot of this easier. Um, We were like, we have to track all of this somehow. And Mm -hmm. we were originally tracking production access control via a spreadsheet and we had an engineer (laughs) and her job was to provision the users she was she was coming out of the support team and we were helping train her up and get her access to production and teach her about how production systems work and so one of the part of the job was like she would provision the accounts um every couple days i mean we're not talking like a large number of accounts this is like you know three engineers a week or something right so you come you join you know somebody provisions your account um and we would track it all that way and that turned into a google form that wrote to the to the uh to the spreadsheet and then that turned into a, um, a web app called Flankit, uh, Folded Spreadsheets, <laughs> something like that. Um, spread, like spreadsheet, spreadsheet, and then you fold it. So Flankit, bad plan words. <laughs> um, Gary also. Um, so we built Flankit. And that was like kind of our six-month like Band-Aid to like building something real. And we ended up saying like, okay, we have to actually fix this. We have to build something that actually manages permissions. It gives the ability to both give permissions, revoke permissions, audit the permissions. Um, and if you, a big motivator was SOC 2. If you remember in SOC 2, like you have these approvals and these quarterly audits. And so all of those workflows are built into Grouper because we wanted to like make it so that no engineer ever had to sit in the room with e and um, to actually mm-hmm. talk through what happened so and if yes. right <laughs> yes. so that's the motivation This is like um i like to say a lot of these motivators are always about um uh, what's this, uh it's about um self-preservation <laughs> and so it was like what are we good at we can build this thing it'll like it'll it'll keep us out of the room talking to the audit team and that that's to be honest like a huge motivator was get kelsey's time back and then get to, and then prevent us mm-hmm. from spending hours going through this with the audit committees
0: so the courier uh, blog post also goes into, you know, how service accounts are managed. Oh, ah, that's
1: so yes so that's so, yeah. uh, connected to so, that. Grouper originally was just about user accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, my, we're gonna, I, I did some research on this because some of this is mm-hmm. like buried in the history of like, why do we do some of these things? Um, yeah. The motivation, <laughs> the motivation between tying these two things was that we ha- originally had three RPC systems maybe four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we needed to consolidate that. And so the vectors that things were coming in at were, we had this security aspect around user account management in SOC2. We knew that standing up services is hard. And that was actually the original motivator of Courier, um, was that standing up mm-hmm. services is very, very hard. We actually went through and said like, okay, from a DevX perspective, it's 40, 50 steps to do this. We have to cut this down. Grouper being some set of these steps, right? Because you have to provision the accounts. You have to get all of this to work. Um, Mm -hmm. And we said, okay, we have to figure out a way to make this faster. We have to actually, so that's probably, let's eliminate these three, four RPC systems. Then we started just saying, like, where do we tie these things together? And what we were trying to do was build a workflow for users to be easily able to stand up a backend system with all the right permissions, Mm -hmm. with all the right monitoring, with all of the right... um, Logging everything would just happen out of the box when you imported Courier, effectively, um, and so that was the mm-hmm. that was the main motivation. And the tying it together became we have to go we that service account support now into 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 Grouper. Um, we have to have it very aware of what what the how to model ACLs there. And I don't believe my co-founder was reminding me that not all of the things in Courier are actually modeling Grouper, just because some of them don't make it's like. It's think of it as more coarse grained in Grouper, and then there's a lot of fine tuning you can do um, mm-hmm. inside of the RPC system itself. If you wanted to say like, okay, I'm gonna, I want you to only process one out of every ten requests or whatever from this service, like that doesn't exist in Grouper. That's you know, Grouper just gives you like very coarse grained permissions of this can talk to this, and this is in its managing certificates, yeah. but handling sort of the traffic level load balancing um, on the services. I think that answered all of the question.
0: So I understand why users, right? They live outside of the cluster, mm-hmm. um, but you know, why why bring services into it in the first place, right? Like, ah. Why couldn't you just say, "Hey, it's in the it's in the Kubernetes cluster" or whatever? It's in the same infrastructure.
1: Oh, why no Kubernetes just... at, the, uh, at the time, no Kubernetes clusters, and um, it's it's uh, it's funny. I was talking to somebody at Amazon this past week, and both of us, uh, I was at reInvent this past week, and both of us, um, it's a senior person on the uh, compute side. And we both were like yeah the holy grail right is a flat l2 network right like that's what you actually want that's what a user wants that's what a user thinks they should have full l2 non-blocking network right like that makes your life easy as an engineer um so that that's what you're going for right so if that's and we were building that's actually how dropbox's infrastructure is built it's full l2 non-blocking within cluster um Mm -hmm the trick with this right, is that certain things have proxies, certain things have the ability to put traffic in other places. You need to now figure out a way to protect the services that should not talk to other services. Um, So a good example of this is that, everything is in 10 space addressed, right? So we can't really talk to public internet without going through some NAT translation here. Um, And so Mm -hmm. the way that works there is at the time there was a proxy server. That you would literally set the proxy to, right? So now, if I don't have the right ACLs, anybody can proxy out, which meant that anybody running something rogue inside the network theoretically could proxy through that through that edge through the edge network, right, back out to the to the public internet, and that may not be something you want to allow. Um, so there's that. Right. That was a main. Yeah, that was a big motivator. Um, but really, it's this: we want to give you an L2 network with some infrastructure on top that then has ACLs um, because that's where we have to move the protection. So we remove the network. The network doesn't actually have anything besides edge ACLs then.
0: Right, so, so what you want is like the experience for developers that everything is yeah. flat, but sometimes, you know, that's not enough. You might have um, more sensitive services or, uh, or say stuff that goes out yeah. that you don't wanna just open access to. Yep.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so you can't really just have it all open. You can't, you, Even you,
1: know. his, yeah, you, you don't need to, um, I'll, I'll give an example of this. I, I, from, from what we did, we, uh, this is a Google example. Actually, we had a, let's see if I can explain this succinctly and quickly. We had a, uh, a, a proxy server at YouTube that would, ex, that would just mark everything as yes, accepted. And it was, uh, any RPC you send it to it, it would just say yes. Don't, don't ask why it's a different problem. But this RPC in, server would just say yes. No, uh, no, 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 no. The RPC response was just like 200 OK. I did what you told me to do.
0: Right. Oh, just like that. The yes uh, CLI tool. On, uh,
1: yeah, effectively that. Right. So if I <laughs> sent you an RPC, it could be anything. It could be like delete all data from the web search cache. It would just reply yes. I've done that. Um, and so okay, <laughs> you can, now you can see where this is going. Sounds here.
0: like a, a testing tool. Like nothing will ever fail if you send <laughs> nothing it. nothing will ever
1: fail. Effectively, right? And so we were we were running this and. Uh, Yeah, a uh, actual, let's call it tablet server for a storage system started sending requests to it. And we would just respond, yes. Never store the data, right? We just go, go away. Go, 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 <laughs> you go can forget hole.
0: about your data. I've stored it. I've You're stored safe it. to continue. <laughs>
1: good, good. Yes, exactly, right. So, great example of where you would probably want an ACL on this, where only the YouTube team should probably have ever had access to this thing, because or whatever testing system on this L2 network that was the only thing that should ever have talked to this thing. Um, but you really can't provision networks every thirty seconds to like make that connection happen. So this is where the ACL comes in, where we want to have an ACL on this mm-hmm. system. That only allows the youtube testing systems to talk to it this is a true story we actually had this this is probably 2009 2010 that has actually actually had this happen <laughs> uh, so lessons learned um, so that's yeah. what the motivator at dropbox was like we don't want to see that type of system happen
0: awesome so you mentioned about how uh, uh you know grouper was configured by developers mm-hmm. uh, so it's both for the uh, it, it was used to onboard and offboard developers but also yes. uh, to create yes. service accounts so how did that how did that workflow look like at uh, the latest version you remember?
1: <laughs> the latest version I remember, um, service accounts and user accounts provision exactly the same, just a selector difference. Um, you just say, I want a service mm-hmm. account or I, a, I, or I want a user account. Um, I believe service account would provision like mutual TLS certificates for it and handle that workflow on the back end, where user account is just SSH key for us um, at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's different now given how they set up access control. But it, back then... This is like, you have to remember, this is like pre-Octa having a lot of systems that handle a lot of this stuff at the time. IAM like, didn't really exist in any sort of meaningful way. Yeah. and So we were really hacking a lot of this together. SSH was still the standard. Um, and so we would provision SSH key there. And that's actually how you would, that was the interface we gave people. Um, I forgot one of the motivators. Uh, for those that don't remember SSH keys, one of the biggest problems any startup ever has is that somebody always loses their key and then you have to go redistribute this to every machine. And we got tired of handling 50, 60, hundred developers. You know, one a day would be like, oh, I, like, I deleted my laptop. I need a new key pushed out, right? And like- <laughs> One a day, yeah, every day. Yeah, yeah right? Like, like, you know, they delete the directory, right? It's like, you know, they don't even, they are like they, it was in their development environment and they tore down the VM for the development environment because it's like uh, VMware mm-hmm. and like then they stand it up and they don't have it anymore. And so we, that's the other motivator is we needed an interface that automatically distributed SSH keys, which now today is also service account keys and all the rest of the stuff that has to happen under the hood. Um, and so we wanted one interface that was auditable um, to handle that that distribution of keys. <laughs> oh, that was, I forgot about this motivator. That, that was a very, very large motivator actually. Um, yeah, so that's that's the behind the scenes of it. Um, service account versus user account, though, not a lot of difference. Um, I believe I believe at one point it was hooked up this way. I mean, Workday would even provision the user account when you got onboarded as an engineer. If you changed your, you know, I, at one point we had it so that if you changed your role in Workday, like, you would get flagged inside of Grouper, like, should this user still have access to any of this stuff, that kind of stuff. Um, so it's like total provisioning through the system, um, SOC 2, rest of compliance, all that stuff.
0: So, you you use the same system for uh, for users and, and service accounts, and mm-hmm. that's because sometimes developers would call the yeah. same APIs that uh, services yeah. would call, right, and yes. you'd want to be able yes. to authenticate.
1: Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. That's that the main, That's the other use case is that every time we stand up a service, the service needs to know who can talk to it. Um, so, it was a user account, service account. Um, we also wanted to manage... Um, at a high level, what service accounts could talk to what service accounts. Um, and remember, pre-Kubernetes, mm-hmm. service account means there's actually a Linux user ID associated with a service account too, mm-hmm. right? So we have to provision an actual user for this to run as. It's not as simple as like it is in, in Kube and like where that's all sort of abstracted and you right. just like, hand- yeah,
0: yeah. Um, that's real platform engineering. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you made a decision like that, you had to like really work for it. <laughs> yes,
1: yes. It but was it living
0: was, in a world of the I mean,
1: goodness. I mean it's so many people, right? Like we just run everything under one account everywhere, right? Like at YouTube when I joined, we had the YouTube Linux account, right? Where every single Linux user would just every single YouTube app just ran as YouTube. Um, and then, you know, Dropbox, we didn't want that. So we said, like, okay, how do we provision account by service by service? And that eventually leads to, like, okay, we have that mm-hmm. same abstraction. We can then create the user instead of kube. We not do the kube abstraction on that. We could handle IAM permissions on that. But it gave a single place to handle different backends that we had to manage. Um, and so permissions mm-hmm. had, like, prefixes where, you know, you would know which permission this is going to tie to, right? Is it an IAM permission in, in inside of uh sort of, inside of uh amazon is this going to be an ssh key um you can sort of specify that and know what like makes it flexible for security then right to build new plug Mm -hmm. in pam right like like yes (laughs) (laughs) you can see so much I mean, it's
0: words I mean, we we don't have to say anymore in the era of cloud native. Now you just specify YAML, you don't have to think about like pump, I know, and, I'm,
1: I'm dating myself on terms use. of, I mean, <laughs> so many of these concepts, right, are like, they, they existed on single node instances. And then we just said, like, how do we make these multi-node, like distributed system type system? So Grouper under the hood is, I wouldn't say it's much different probably than PAM in terms of like how the interfaces look. I could be yeah. wrong, but like that's what we thought about it is like we need to make this pluggable for like any type of backend we're ever gonna see. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, you know that that really comes out in the in the code base. I was actually surprised uh, to find out that Grover is open source. Well, it's it's a bit hidden yeah. since the repository is renamed. Yeah. Um, do you remember the name?
1: Narrow, narrow, N N E R U. I think. I actually, <laughs> I, 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 I I mean, I know, I stopped. We moved Grouper out of infrastructure in probably 2017, 2016 and into the security teams and they started maintaining it. And that's kind of when my, the first four years were kind mm-hmm. of the other side of the world. And you can see sort of a lot of this was motivated more towards how do we automate things? And then security started right. shifting it to more to, okay, we have this great foundation that manages these things. How do we create workflows that are super secure on top of it? Um, and so their motivations, yeah. became came way more around the accling, where our motivations were way more around the automation. But I think it's a great example of where a security tool and infrastructure can play very nicely together as like, it's yeah. like the two persona thing we talked about. Like you can incubate it in one of the two teams, but you have, if you get it right, it creates so much leverage between, between organizations. Um, I think if we had pure security t- tool or pure infra tool. Like we just built something like both teams would have ended up building totally different like would have had two different things trying to compete for the same type of workload. And it would have been a nightmare. Um, so I'm actually pretty happy that kind of it, it didn't yeah. both sides.
0: When you're able to, to, to build one tool that um, two sides of, are able to leverage for different purposes. That's when you can get, you know, we talked about the experience for the engineer that everything is a layer two network. Yep. You can get that, but yep. only if you can get close enough with the abstraction for both sides, that they can each say, you know, engineers want to say that, I, I, I just want to connect to this thing, right? I want to like resolve DNS and send packets and have it work. I don't, like, I don't even want to think about packets, right? I just want to type in the service name. Um, and security teams want to know that everything is intentional and, you know, they, they will make your life a nightmare, but they're also very cognizant of that yeah. engineering organizations need to move quickly and that they're the most expensive part of the organization. <laughs> yes, 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 so it's a yes. uh, it's a bit of a of a conflict, but good tools uh, can fix that. Yep. So I think that that really brings us over. I mentioned earlier the the quote that was on your booth, and I think is actually on your website from one of mm-hmm. your users who said that the future of deployment is intent based.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and at other we also think in terms of intents. You know that that experience of the user saying this is what I want to happen. You know, I don't want to do all this low-level stuff. Just make it happen. Make my service run. Make it the connectivity work. Make the SOC two auditors happy. Yeah. <laughs> Just let yeah. me get a yeah. move on. So, um, so Grouper was a was a system for managing permissions. That is, um, it's a bit imperative, right? Like you had to tell it create a user, yeah. give this permission, and so on. Yeah. Um, so, would you do it differently today with a uh, that philosophy of, you know, taking it one level higher, of the abstraction, declaring the desired results rather than specifying the list of permissions and accesses you want? The
1: answer is Great yes. Big
0: question.
1: I mean, it's, it's a leading, I mean, it's I don't think it's a leading, I mean, I think the answer is yes. Um, I think that it, I haven't given that, that space enough thought about how would you do it, but the answer is like, yes. <laughs> no, like seeing the workflows that people are building today, like in having dealt with, IAM permissions myself, I don't want to think about them in the same way that the cloud providers want you to think about them. Like, it's just too many... It's too complicated. And I also don't think that Terraform and Pulumi do a great job at, like, making it any better. It just gives you a place to put it. Uh, it doesn't give you a place to actually, like, mm-hmm. encode intent. Um, so I think that there's a must be a way better way of managing it. Um, yes.
0: You know, I think that... Um... Google and Apple are doing a a better job of thinking about permissions than than cloud and cloud native, Mm -hmm. you know, with apps where you say, I want to access the microphone. I need access to fine-grained location. And it's, it's high level enough that Mm -hmm. like real people, normal people, my mom is able to understand the prompt and say accept or deny. And then the developer knows it's, it's actually going to work with, with IAM say on Amazon, it can be so complicated that you aren't actually, you have no idea if it's going to work until you actually run the thing in production, mm-hmm. Yep, which like, it doesn't have to be that way. Phone apps, they don't work that way. You know, you have the, you have the intent, the, the permission, mm-hmm. then it's gonna, it's gonna work.
1: I had not thought of it that way, but that makes total sense. I, I, cause it's interesting. I find that the I've made this shift myself mentally on the plot on like sort of the deployment and like the SRE and like that side of the world where start from the user and go backwards. It's interesting when you when you articulate it that way, I think that you, you, you've definitely made that flip on the security side, right? Where you're like, OK, let me start from the user and go this direction, um, which I think once you do that, like it changes, it removes all the constraints that people had previously. Right. It doesn't change that you have to add the IAM permissions, but it changes the experience that the user gets which i think is like the most important part of this whole problem these days um experiences are just awful <laughs>
0: yep yep it's like but i think it's that it, it's not it's not that somebody set out to build a an awful experience even though it sometimes feels like amazon is kind of doing it intentionally but i mean i mean i mean, I mean no harm <laughs> um but it's just, it's just a result of the com- complexity. I think the reason that Android and, and, uh, and iOS have done better, like for, for the first, uh, even though they've existed for less time than, than cloud, is just because there's less complexity. Yep. Just there's yep. so much for anyone to think about that even it tends to become a sprawl rather than compress. Yep. And it takes generations of products to, to yield something like Podvana. It actually takes it another level higher.
1: I, I think the other—I mean—I think you're spot on. I think the other problem, right, is that um, the the end user is so different for like an iPhone or Android, and they the level of product thinking is just light years ahead. When you have to consider, you know, your mom uh, using this permission model as opposed to like, oh, the security engineer that's used to this is like, there, well, there must be only one way to do it. Well, no. There might be another way. I think that's I think the cultural shift that's happening in platforms is probably one of the hardest pieces of it. Right? Is like we're seeing a changing of the guard, but I think it needs to accelerate in a lot of ways.
0: Yep, definitely. Here's hoping for simpler systems. Future Simple of deployment system. is intent based. Amen <laughs> <Yeah>. to that. <laughs> yeah. So we're uh, coming up on the on the end. Mm-hmm. Well done for making it this far. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Um, so, you gave me one hot take earlier about, hey, maybe don't use Kubernetes. I'm actually, I'm all for that, if you can keep it simple.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, is there one more that you can give me that's in the area of, uh, so, if you're on Kubernetes and mm-hmm. you need to, to deploy something complicated, what would you, I, I don't know, something I, that...
1: This is not really yeah. a hot take, but I, well, maybe it is for some folks, but I, I think that My personal hot take is that pipeline-driven development or pipeline sort of driven like systems they make zero sense in cloud native worlds at this point. Um, You need some basic sort of building blocks of like okay, but if you go to a much more intent-based declarative system, you avoid so much of the complexity by removing the pipeline and letting the system figure it out. Um, I think that's one, and then I think that, and I think this is a hot take in the platform world, at least from what I can tell. Is that, I? This is my true hot take because um, I this is <laughs> sort of I, I was getting a lot of uh, feedback on this one. I think that the world of platform engineering has no idea what's going to happen with ML and AI, and how much more complicated and how much mm. more is going to happen in the next twelve to eighteen months than they than they expect. Um, so, you know, the way I look at this is Copilot is a hundred million dollar ARR business already. And you have companies out there, very, very large companies, 40 plus billion dollar valuations that are mandating co-pilot across engineering. And and they're saying they're seeing 10x increase in their principal engineers that don't have to write boilerplate code and can spend it doing architectural reviews. Okay, that removes major bottlenecks. So now we should either see a lot more product, a lot more services, a lot more (laughs) something. Yes. And so.
0: Yeah, there's going to be a lot more.
1: So platform um, teams D- have to realize and they have to get on board with this and they can't say that it's not going to happen. And that AI is a, is, is a venture capital, like, um no, it's yeah,
0: yeah. It's, yeah, real. yeah. it's real. Like, it's real I in a way it.
1: that like, it is as real as mobile was. It is as real as like all of these other major reflections have happened. And I think that there's a lot of portion of the platform community that doesn't think it's real and thinks it's just like, Mm. Like, it's just statistics, right? It's like, it's
0: gonna, it's gonna go away. It's a, it's yeah. a word generator, yeah, right?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: You know, the, the other day I saw um, a web app where you could draw squares and write mm-hmm. text explaining what those squares did. And then there was a button, make it real. Yeah. And it creates a JavaScript app. Yeah. And there yep. was one person who made like squares of pong and a little paddle and wrote, these disappear, the ball moves. Yep. And, it's, and it, it wrote pong.
1: Yeah, it's going it's, to, it's, it's, I mean, I think it is real. And I think that the way we manage systems will change the way, and we'll have to bring more AI tools into the world of platforms that are managing platforms. They just have to be as good as a human, like, which they, you know, as a, as a college grad, mm-hmm. like, and you just ask them to explain it just like you would ask anyone else. Um, I think there's a lot of I, I think that's the one hot take I'd have is like, platform engineering just needs to like, really understand this is real. Like, then they, they can't keep thinking about it as, um, uh, we'll it needs see. needs to scale
0: up. Yeah. It needs to be, what if you could combine intent based yeah. with AI? Like, yeah. what if you can use natural language to say?
1: Oh, so, do all this it, it, stuff. The, the world, it's, there's so many possibilities that are gonna open up with it. And I think that's the part that I think they just, that I would, if I could leave one thing with platform engineers, like realize it's real, and start thinking about the implications for it. Like even if you don't have a plan yet, just accept that it's going to happen. Um, and it's going to happen faster than Web two did. It's going to happen faster than yeah. mobile did. Um, it's probably eighteen months. It's not. It's not five years. That's it's that's the uh, yeah.
0: it's the nature of the change, right? Because AI is like it's it's multiplicative. It's multiplicative. As, as, it, as it gets more real, it it speeds up. Yep. Yep. I hope not to a to a bad place, but to a good place uh, yeah, where we I, I, intend to to have software written and yeah. it happens. But it's gonna happen, <laughs> Not like I, Skynet.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, I know, no Skynet, but it's gonna happen. I think that's that's my hot take. I don't know if it's it's controversial for some, not controversial for others, but like it's like I know I've talked to a lot of platform people you. that just don't believe in it, um, which I wow. worry about. Yes,
0: really, actually, that that's that's super interesting. I haven't had a chance to to hear that. It's you've now motivated me to talk to, to ask more people about that. I'm curious to see what people think uh, firsthand. So um, what's next for you? Next for um,
1: us? Next for me? Uh, continue for building you, Pradvana.
0: for Pradvana, just to... for
1: me, for, for Pravana, continue building on Pradvana. Um, we have been super lucky to have some good early customers and get some good early traction. And so continue building on that momentum. Um, we're, at this point we've you know deployed it very large scale and so now we're sort of want to see you know continue to grow the user base on it and i have some interesting features in the ai space actually that we're looking at for next year um as well as i think the other big one that we've been seeing a lot of interest around is like the persona based development is just been, been game changing for us um we're you know, we can give you an infra persona, an app persona. Show you how your commits flowing through as a commit. If you're an application engineer, show you a Docker image. If you're an infrastructure engineer, and like mm-hmm. those two flipping between those two views, people seem to just really resonate with them. Um, so continuing to double down on that because I think that there's a changing of the garden platforms and how people think about building this stuff.
0: For sure. Yeah, Purvana is really awesome. I can say I'm a, I'm one of your users as well. Thank you. Um, what drew me in was the clairvoyance feature, which looks at your commits um, and tells you like, which were the high impact commits in every deploy. Um, okay. Check them out. So one final question. How yeah. can people get in touch with you? What's um,
1: the best way? Prodvana.io or Andrew at Prodvana.io uh, or LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm not a Twitter user or an ex-user. I, I primarily LinkedIn or email is, is really good.
0: Awesome. So, awesome. Thank you so much, Andrew, for, uh, for joining me. And thanks for all the DevOps.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you,
0: Ori. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: Bye.